Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Entangling Vines, Case 11. Zuigan's Master. Every day, Zuigan Shigen would call to himself, Master. Yes, he would answer himself. Be wide awake, he would say. Yes, whatever the time, whatever the day, never be misled by others. Yes, yes. Welcome to this bright, open, breezy day. The birds have more things and better things to say than I. So listen to them when you sit in the zendo. Often when I think about Sashin back the many times that I have attended Sashin, it felt that the second day is one of the more difficult days, but not in this case. The time just moves in the same way that the wind moves through the leaves. And if we don't resist. It is a wonderful dance. We are here to learn to see the wind, not with our eyes, not with our thoughts, but to become that wind that blows through this universe. And yesterday, Shingiroshi gave us this wonderful teisho about the Hakuin's Zazen wa San, the song of Zazen. Today, however, I will continue uh, working through the Shumon Katoshu. It's a collection of over 200 koans uh, that have no commentaries to it. So not like the Mumon Khan or the Hikikan Roku, which have comments by either Mumon or Ingo Kokugon. This is just the case itself. And today we are at number 11. And number 11 happens to be a fairly well-known koan. Zuigan's master. And the master is in double quotes. Zuigan's master! It's the shout he gave to himself every day, every day. So who is Zuigan? Zuigan Shigen, we really don't know much about his dates. What we know is that he studied with certain people whose dates we know. So we can put him into the ninth century. He does appear in a couple of koans across all the collections, but in the Shumon Katoshu, case 11 is the sole place where we find Zuigan. It's kind of coincidental that case 11 in the Shumon Katoshu is case 12 in the Mumonkan. So you find exactly this same koan in the gateless barrier. As case, as case number 12. So even though we don't know much about Zuigan, we know that he was a native of the province that today is called Fujian, and his family name was Shu. He was ordained really young. I think it is reported in several places that 
He was seven years old when he became ordained. And since he, what's so funny? <laughs> it's good. I feel I was seven when I got ordained too, or at least mentally or as a human being. So he just figured it out much earlier. But so he was ordained. And so we see that with people who were exposed to the monastic practice and the teachings of Buddhism as a, at a young age that usually they turn out to be fairly strict followers of the precepts. And that, is this, that happened with Zuigan. So he was very clear about what he was doing and how he manifested himself. Besides that, we know very, very little. He became the Dharma heir to Ganto Zenkatsu. We spoke a little bit about Ganto in, in the koans that came before here, but uh, just to give you some uh, reminders, Ganto, he was the person who during the uh, persecution of Buddhism in China in the year 845 worked as a ferryman. And then later he returned to the monastery, which of course was abandoned because most of the people were lay-sized and it was dangerous to study Buddhism. As I always point out, the rakusu that you're wearing around your neck, those who wear the rakusu, it was created to represent this large surplice or the kesa that is formerly worn. And it was made in this abbreviated version so you could wear it under your outfit. You would still wear the clothes of the Buddha while you couldn't share outside because you would be arrested and maybe put to the sword. So please treat your rakusu with that kind of attention and reverence. People were willing to put their lives on the line to wear that. So Ganto is also known because when he was by himself in that monastery, in that compound, thieves came. And they weren't the first to come. It had already been cleaned out pretty much. And the thieves were not happy about it. They took it out on Ganto. They killed him. And his death cry, his shout was heard for miles and miles and miles. He was Zuigan Shigen's teacher. There's one more thing we know about Zuigan, and it's an anecdote that is recorded in several places and that reports about him when he just had received his teacher's blessing, so to speak, when he inherited Ganto's Dharma. And what happened here is when still a young monk, he had an interview with Kassan Zenne. That's the second person with the dates where we can put him into the ninth century. So Kassan Zenne lived from 805 to 881. So as this young person appeared in front of Kassan, comes the inquiry from the Zen master. Where are you from? This is a very dangerous question. Hmm? You, will, you will find many koans that begin with, oh, so where are you from? Zuigan replied, I come from the lying dragon mountain. Lying like sleeping. Not not telling the truth, yeah? Lying Dragon Mountain, which is, of course, the name of the place where Ganto resided. 
So Kassan continued, Did the dragon rise up when you left there? Zuigan replied by looking about Kassan. Kassan said, You are applying burning moxa to skin. That's already burned. What is moxa? Any, any moxa practitioners here? Incense. Yeah, it's some kind of incense, but it's used for a specific thing, right? Yeah. It's pretty thick. It's a longish stick that, that you light like the incense, but it is made from herbs and from all kinds of things that are good, that smells good. And then you treat what hurts with the heat, but also the aroma and the smoke. So it's a purification. If you were here the day before Sashin, uh, I also mentioned that the day before Sashin is usually called Hashinkyuji. Hashinkyuji is the day where the monks burn moxa for their various ailments and mend their robes. So it's the last things that they have to do to prepare for Sashin and moxa. Moxa combustion is used for that. It's a very ancient uh, Asian way of treating your ailments. Please don't do it in the Zendo <laughs> or anywhere around here because fire is really something that we have to be very careful with. You're applying burning moxa to skin that's already burned. That sounds very painful. Zuigan replied, What is the use of undergoing such torture? Has that question come up in your mind yet? <laughs> what is the use of undergoing this kind of torture? Is your skin already burnt and we are adding to it? Or can you get to the point where the breeze provides cool air to your burnt skin? What is the use of undergoing such torture? At this point, Zuigan felt, wow, I am winning this Dharma battle. I have the upper hand. Whenever there's this kind of one-upmanship, you know it will not end well for the person who thinks they are one-up. He wouldn't give up. He thought, now I have, the, I have Kasan in my pocket. Let's give him a couple more. And he continued to ask, Thusness is easy to deal with. Not thusness is difficult to deal with. If you are in the state of thusness, you are wide awake. If you are in not thusness, you are in emptiness. Are you in thusness or not thusness? Say quickly. Already Zuigan thought he had prevailed. Kasan said, Today you have made a fool of me. Triumphantly, of course, Zuigan went on. Take that guy off the list and go to the next one on the route of Dharma battles. But as it is often when we have encounters like that, it comes back later in life and it is reported that much later in life, Zuigan remarked about this encounter with Kasan. Was not I, after all, the one who was made a fool of. 
In those days, I was too green to appreciate Kassan's maturity. And this little anecdote also relates a little bit to what we have in our koan here. Because if you look at the characters in one of the answers uh, where he says to himself, don't, let, don't be deceived by anybody else. Whatever time, whatever the day, never be misled by others. The character for misleading in Chinese at some points is also interpreted as making a fool of oneself. Making a fool of oneself. And here he spoke to Kasan exactly about that. The second thing that is here, which is very interesting to note, is he said, if you are in the state of thusness, you are wide awake. Be wide awake, he would say to himself. Quite an interesting hint. So why was he asking himself? Was he totally self-centered? We have plenty of people around who talk to themselves. Oh, should I do this now? Oh, no, no, I don't need to do that. I'll do that later. Was it that kind of asking when he called master? No, you don't think so? Yeah, probably not. Was he calling for an external master? Master, master, where are you? Come here. Save me. <laughs> that kind of calling. Probably not. But it points to something that I would like to examine a little bit. And that has to do with the self and who we are or who we think we are and the little three-letter word of ego. Is there anyone who does not who, who checked their ego on the gate house somewhere there? Or did you bring it with you? Hmm? I hope you brought it with you. Isn't that a strange thing to say? Let me tell you why. We have plenty of opportunities here in this kind of practice and setting to feel our ego and to feel how we are encumbered by it. That what might feel harsh, that what might feel uncomfortable is the necessary rough road that we need to run into so we know that everything shakes and that it's actually there. We become so accustomed <coughs> to our own inner workings that we lose complete awareness that there is anything else. And that's why we come here. That's why we practice together as a group. Individuals, but not egos. So, we don't need external tyrants. That thought came to me today. We don't need them. We have, them, have one right inside ourselves. And we have to learn where to listen to it and where to use it and where not to use it. Look at it from an environmental point of view. We are suffering from the highest degree of ego pollution all around. It's very, very subtle. It's very subtle. So in the same way that we like ecology and we, wa we want to be green, let's also look at the ego pollution. We want to minimize our ego footprint in the same way that we want to minimize our carbon footprint. 
it's not just the physical world that we have to take care of, but also the world that we call society, the world that is non-substantial. And that pollution often is the underlying cause for our ecological debacles we have. Greed, making more money, not being aware of the impact we have. All of that goes back to ego pollution. Even here, but here we can see where our ego starts oozing its ugly, slimy stuff. And it's okay. That's what we want to see. If it's just kept in, we won't see it. And it's very, very subtle, very subtle. For example, the way we walk. What kind of noise do we make when we walk? And often we are not aware. I told the story of, of my first session in Austria many times, but I will tell you the morning when it started. Wake up and it said, bring two pairs of shoes. We need one pair for uh, inside and one for walking outside. So the only pair that, had, that I had for inside were wooden clogs. <laughs> well, it's, it's shoes. Come on, they asked for a second pair of shoes. So this was in a very, very old house that actually happened to be uh, an asylum for the blind. It was just bought by the Buddhist Society in Austria in 1982, and the blind uh, folks must have just moved out and as you can imagine, their sense of aesthetics uh, was rather absent. So it was shabby and, and but comfortable. So everything was wooden. The stairs were wooden. The floors upstairs were wooden. I arrived the evening before. I lied down to sleep. Must have been 10 o'clock. As soon as my eyelids closed, the bell was ringing already. What happened? The night had just gone. Put the robes on. Be down in 10 minutes. People were like jumping like in a fire station out of the upper bunks. Yeah? You had to be really careful not to be hit. Put the robes on. First time those robes, okay. Shoes, okay. Clocks out on the wooden floor, down the wooden stairs. Somebody yells from downstairs, quietly! So, okay. so I went slower. <laughs> Quickly! Welcome to, welcome to Zen practice. Can't do it right. You can't do it right. So, but it taught me already there what is my impact on where I am? What kind of stakes does my ego put in the ground to make sure that everybody knows I'm here, I'm here? Hmm? What kind of stakes? It could be anything. It could be a nervous cough. It could be slamming a door because we don't care. It could be all kinds of things. And in an environment like this one here, we really have an opportunity to notice that. There's a little help. We have officers. They make corrections in a very pointed way, the ego might not like that. Okay, means, okay, if that arrow that is shot at you, this correction, if it hits something, wow, 
Ask yourself, what is that target? Why am I not able, like the wind, to just pass through the trees and the leaves without leaving a trace? Why? Let's observe the impact our existence has with our ego. There is one prime, actually there are three prime time for ego every day. Let's eat! <laughs> Eating is just really a wonderful thing because we know even to do this practice, we have to eat. We have to sustain our physical existence. That means how we eat becomes very, very important. It's a way where the ego exposes itself. Feel the greed if there's something that tastes good. Oh, I hope there's more when the bowl comes back. Yeah. Why did this person take so much of it? I want more. All kinds of thoughts might come, all kinds of feelings. Or feel the warmth of, ah, I get to exist a little longer. Just listen to yourself, your body, everything when you eat. When you put the bowl down, if you clang it, as is saying, I'm here. You put the bowls together. Of course they will make some sound here and there, but it's a difference if the sound happens or if you just don't care if you don't pay attention. I've said this very often and I say it again because I think it's very important to always keep in mind. The extreme behaviors we have in society or in ourselves are not so much the problem because we know the things that we shouldn't do pretty well. And we know the things that we ought to do also very well. We aspire to do this and we try not to do that. But in between all this stretch of indifference is what causes most of the problems we are having. I don't care to vote. My voice doesn't make a difference. It's the same in the Dharma practice. Your Zazen makes a difference. Your being here makes a difference. There is nothing, no thing, and nobody we can be indifferent about. It's quite a profound teaching and a challenge to fill the gap between the extremes with caring and to get away from being indifferent. Zuigan reminded himself, be wide awake. And as we heard, from the anecdote with Kassan, that means be with what? Thusness. Have you ever heard about thusness, suchness, tatata, dharmata, shinyo in Japanese, suchness, things as they are. You can see things as they are. You can be things as they are in the boundless, clear sky of Samadhi. Thus have I heard. Thus are the teachings of the Buddha. 
be wide awake. Now, some people at times interpret, I, I found actually because I was researching a little bit before uh, giving Tesha on this koan, there you find many people talking about it and pointing to Zuigan's calling master and himself and being awake with, you have to be mindful. Okay. Mindfulness is very, very helpful to many people. If I had a little type or a sign that says TM, like trademark, I would put that next to mindfulness. Yeah, Mindfulness, TM, trademark. Believe free, no spirituality included. Just a technique can be recommended by your physician. You don't even have to prescribe it. But the really important thing about these practices of being awake and being aware is to have that root behind that was completely stripped away and the technique came out. So be wide awake. Be with things as they are. In the morning, before the morning doksan, we chant all together. Do you remember what, what it is called? Anybody? Joka. Uh, before, bef not the unstructured, before the doksan. Oh, the Yogonshu, yeah. The Yogonshu. Is there another name for that? Yeah, the Surangama Sutra. It's the mantra out of the Surangama Sutra. And there's a wonderful story that comes from the Surangama Sutra, which I want to read to you, which goes to the functioning of this ego, of these beliefs that we have that reign with supremacy. And you might have heard it. Do you know which one I'm going to tell? Yeah, he says, yeah, so he knows. <laughs> Great. It's the story of Enyadatta. Enyadatta. Enyadatta was a beautiful young woman who enjoyed nothing more than gazing at herself in the mirror each morning. <laughs> one day, when she looked into the mirror, something might have happened. It might have fogged up or so. But she found no head reflected there. The shock was so great that she became frantic. My head is gone. Oh my, where's my head? My head is gone. She rushed around. Did you take my head? Who took my head? Somebody took my head. And everybody told her, don't be silly. Your head is right on your shoulders. It's always been there. Always. However, she refused to believe that. I didn't see it in the mirror this morning. It is gone. She continued to search and search and search with a frenzy. Finally, her friends got together. We have to do something about this. I think she's going mad. 
compassionately, they dragged her home and bound her to a pillar. (laughs) So she wouldn't harm herself. They tried to persuade her slowly that your head is right there. Believe me. And five people said it, and 10 people said it, but it did not work. She became maybe half convinced. Yeah, you say so, so many people say so. Well, it sounds rational. You are all telling me that, but, but there was some Zen master who said the rational is not real, and the real is not rational, so I really don't believe you. Her subconscious mind began to maybe accept that she was deluded. Sometimes she even thought that she never had a head. It was all an illusion. Finally, having enough of it, one of the friends, one of her wise Elder women friends stepped forward and knocked her in the head. (laughs) And she went, ah! That's your head. There it is. Her friend exclaimed. And immediately, Enyadatta saw that she had been deluded that she had deluded herself into thinking she had lost her head when in fact it always had been there. And when this happened to Enyadatta, she was so elated that she rushed around exclaiming, I've got it, I've got it, I have my head after all. I am so happy. This is the story of Enya Datta. Shujo Honrai Hotoke Nari. Fundamentally, all beings are Buddha. I don't believe it. Huh? I don't believe it. Are we acting like Enya Tata? You have Buddha nature. I don't see it in the mirror. You're telling me, but as we see somehow, we need maybe to be bound to a pillar. Zazen. Compassionately, not only listening to the words that we hear in the sutras, to the words that we hear from Roshi or that we read, but letting the wind, the birds, the pain, the sleepiness tell us That's our head. Right there it is. And Zuigan reminded himself of that every day. What did he say? Stay awake. Yeah. No, he didn't say. Master. Master. Yeah, right. And then he answered. Yes. (laughs) Did he say yes? (coughs) No. The character 
in, in the beginning, if you heard, there's the word tak several times. That's how it is read in the traditional way. But if you read it in Japanese in modern times, what would you say? That's also a very important lesson here when you respond. It's not a response unless you give yourself 100% to it. So, yes, what do you want? It's not good enough. Yeah. Master! Hi! Put yourselves into that. In this case, it's in sound. In the sutras, it's also in sound, a different kind of sound. Every syllable. In gasho. It's a hundred percent. In the walking, in everything, commit to action and you will get to know the fourth of the four. What did we talk about yesterday? The four. Anything with the number four? The fourfold wisdom. The action that comes out of that. Be wide awake. Who awakens? Who awakens? Who wants to awaken? <laughs> there is a feeble. <laughs> we all want to awaken. In fact, not only we want to awaken, inevitably, we do awaken. Anybody still asleep? No. We come, we go all the time. All the time. At night when we close our eyes and we fall into deep sleep, the universe disappears. In the morning, the universe reappears. And according to conditions that make up you as an individual, your body will be pretty much looking the same unless something happened overnight. But then your mental patterns will play out and the old stinky self will reappear. It's stale, or so we think. So how do we bring freshness into that stale old self? By being awake. Being awake doesn't necessarily mean that that stinky self will just disappear. Being awake is to be, oh, yeah, it's a piece of shit. And it smells horribly. Looking at it, being with the thusness of it, allowing it to dissolve, allowing it to reappear, just like your breath, in and out, in and out. No expectation. Did Zuigan have an expectation when he called Master? Was he really asking a question or was he making a statement? What was he doing? Huh? Yeah, he was doing something actively. Master! 
Yes! The giving and the receiving. The giving and the receiving. Be wide awake means participate in that process. Look at it, how it goes, whether going or returning. What are we? The voice of the Dharma, the activity of the Dharma unfolding. We really have to see ourselves as the tip of the arrow of time and of the universe unfolding right there. The spring, the source of all of that in every moment that we are here or wherever we are to be able to appreciate what that actually is flying through that space and time and ripping through it like nothing could hold it up, creating, destroying, coming and going. Not, nothing boring about that. Be wide awake, he would say. Whatever the time, whatever the day, never be misled by others. I will give you a few seconds to reflect on what the answer would be to what others. taking answers. <laughs> what others? Delusions. Delusions. The voices in your head. In mine? <laughs> what others? Anything other than the truth. Truth, falsehood, two-dimensional. Mm. Doesn't work. Attachment. There are no others. There are no others. It's just an idea, the separation from this or that. All sentient beings are fundamentally Buddha. It's not a quality that is attached to individuals. It is their nature. We are all one. We heard it yesterday too. No others. When we become one and our consciousness goes away, when we fall asleep, for example, or when you enter deep, deep zazen and body and mind fall off, everything disappears. Nobody sees, nobody hears, nothing to be seen, nothing to be heard. Are there any others in that place? No, no others. And then it burst forth. Roshi used the word disperse lately. I like it. D-I-S-P-E-R-S-E. -E. That oneness just splashes all over the place and the 10,000 things come into existence. And then like Enya Datta, 
out of the 10,000 things, let's say if there are 500 humans, they will walk around looking for their Buddha nature. I can't see my Buddha nature. <laughs> Yet, you go to sleep, you go into meditation, or even faster than that. It happens anyway. But we have to become awake to it. That's why we come together as one, as one here in the group. We become one with the 10,000 things. With every breath, take in the entire cosmos. And with your exhalation, return it with all you have into that great cosmos. Whatever the time, whatever the day, never be misled by others. Fundamentally, there is no time. Fundamentally, there is no day. And fundamentally, there are no others. And what we have to learn is to be able to respond to that in the same way that Zuigan did. What did he do? What did he say? Yes. One out of how many are we? Huh? Let's do it together. Whatever the time, whatever the day, never be misled by others. Yes. Yes. yes! And that, if we commit to that action from our center of gravity, that center of gravity is not our center of gravity, but it is the center of gravity of the whole universe. You have a chance to do that. It's just unbelievably awesome that we have a chance like that as human beings. So let's take a chance and give all we have to realize where our head already is, not put another one on top of it and to realize what the master is. Ach! This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.